0: When it comes to education, getting back to pre-pandemic life is not good enough. That's according to the New York State United Teachers Union. They've released the findings of their Future Forward report, which looked at challenges facing... For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. The COVID-19 pandemic created unprecedented challenges for
1: teachers and support staff, students and their parents. Even basic things, basic math doing, you know, here are a couple of numbers, get an average. Um, Those skills that used to be automatic and and students would know how to do um, those things and be able to use those tools, those skills are not as strong as they have been in the past. Now the
0: 600,000 member New York State United Teachers has turned those challenges into an opportunity.
2: NYSET is a strong force for teachers and students and families and I give them all the credit in the world for pulling this together. I'm so happy that a strong institution like NICET um, recognized that we needed to do this work.
0: NICET established the Future Forward Task Force to help answer the question, how can we best support our public schools as the center of every community? So you could have the clothes closet, the food pantry. You could have
3: um, family counselors to access at night. Um, you could have people who would would be able to work with the school in conjunction to help service the family, which then helps the community as well.
0: On this podcast, we're going to hear from three teachers who share their experience on the task force and what they're seeing in the classroom today. Joining me to talk about NICE's just-released report, Future Forward, is Jennifer Wolf, a high school social studies teacher in the Oceanside School District on Long Island. Jen, thank you for joining me.
2: Oh, I really appreciate being asked to
0: join. Thank you. So, Jen, can you give us some insight on what the task force focused on and some of the key recommendations that the union came up with as a result?
2: Sure. Well, we focused... On taking advantage of this um, unprecedented opportunity to think about you know how we do school and the responsibilities of teachers and schools to our students um in the twenty first century, and i I really enjoyed. We worked all summer long, um had many, many meetings talking about what we learned and what we want to keep and what we didn't want to keep. And so we looked at five main. Um, areas. One being that we wanted to focus on public schools, right, as the centers of our uh, communities, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we wanted to improve funding for uh, community schools and combat food insecurity, uh, for example. Many of us ended up um, delivering food all a pandemic long to so many students. And it became obvious that we need to make sure that kids have access to lunch and breakfast, and that's something that we as a union would like to advocate for uh you know moving forward that sometimes these kids those are the only two meals that they get all day, and it's important that that we you know provide that stuff and then we took a look um at Um, supporting students' social and emotional needs. That became so obvious to all of us that kids and teachers um, and parents, actually, right, had a lot of trouble, you know, adjusting to the new world order. And it was really hard. Our kids were isolated. Our parents were isolated. Teachers were working um, long, long hours to learn new platforms. And all of this took its toll, you know, on people's mental health. And then we realized, certainly, that we don't have enough, you know, mental health supports in schools, that we need to um, increase those numbers, you know, of, of folks who can do the kind of work that our kids need in order to come to school ready to learn you know mm-hmm. and um then we also took a look at Fighting for racial justice, that was certainly a topic that came up over and over again, no matter what topic we uh, we were talking about. We, we want to make sure that every student receives an equitable shot at success. And what does that look like in our schools and what do our schools need in order to make sure that that happens? Um, it goes beyond just including books um, and literature that reflect, you know, the diversity of the kids in our classroom to teaching teachers about, you know, implicit bias and supporting inclusivity. So there were a lot of topics that we talked about that covered the kinds of practices that we'd like to see in our classroom and the kind of supports that we, that we would like schools to have, you know, in order to make that happen. Then we looked at um, the emphasizing high stakes testing. We found that that became a source of a lot of anxiety for our students Um, and for our teachers. We would like to decouple the high stakes part of testing because it became something that teachers were, especially during the pandemic, focused on getting these kids past these tests that we weren't sure we, we were going to give, and it caused, you know, a lot of undue anxiety, and kids weren't actually learning. They were stressing out, you know, about mm-hmm. those exams. Um, and we looked at, you know, ad- adopting best practices for instruction and technology, we, we certainly learned that in-person learning is the best kind of learning, but there certainly is a role for technology. We learned that there isn't an equal access to internet and, you know, and broadband. And so we... Spoke about how we can ensure that every kid has access to the internet at home, and that it is of quality access. That was part of the problem. A lot of kids were given um, hotspots or reduced cost internet, and it wasn't fast enough. It didn't have enough bandwidth, and so kids couldn't participate in class even if they had a device, right? You know, um, an internet access, and so. I would say that the that the job of the task force was to make sure that kids have equal access to the tools they need to be successful critical thinkers and we want to be able to help our parents, you know, develop these healthy and caring citizens.
0: It sounds like and I'm sure you you realize this already but like there's so many barriers to education before you can get to that oh, part yeah. of actually learning. Yeah. And then, you know, oh, this yeah. pandemic really just polarized all of that. And it sounds like you this is, um, this is like an opportunity to kind of have a, a clean slate and, you know, really address yes. those things. I mean, is that what it felt yes. like
2: throughout this experience? Yes. It, it's exactly what it felt like. You know, I was thinking, I live um in a part of the state that was badly impacted by Sandy and mm-hmm. and it's been now almost 10 years later and i have to say that our city has built back better mm-hmm. and You're talking I kind about, of the think about the hurricane sandy right, right? yes yeah. sorry yes yes, yes. Oh, hurricane sandy yes and i was thinking about how that th- that this pandemic crisis is our opportunity to build back better Wow. And that we shouldn't, you know, waste the learning.
0: So are you hopeful? I mean, it's, it was a lot of work that went into this, a lot of time, a lot of brainstorming. Um, are you hopeful yeah. now that you've got this down on paper and, and something yes. to work off of?
2: Yes, 100 percent. I'm hopeful because we have a commissioner who supports many of these recommendations already. NICET is a strong force for teachers and students and families. And I give them all the credit in the world for pulling this together. I'm so happy that a strong institution like NYSET, um recognized that we needed to do this work and that they got something on paper and it's out there, you know, for folks to take a look at. And I hope that what they see are teachers and educators who care deeply about other people's children and that we are trying super hard to make sure that we don't, you know, lose anyone and that we we prepare them for a 21st century world.
0: Well, Jen Wolf, also, I want to say to you, congratulations. I know you were named the 2021 New York State Teacher of the Year. So that (laughs) is awesome. thank Thank
2: you. It was an awesome responsibility. It was an honor of my professional career, I have to say. Well, we
0: appreciate it. We appreciate you. And thank you for taking the time and joining me on the podcast. Oh, and thank
2: you for having me. I really appreciate
0: Adrian Cohan was also on the task force. Adrian's an elementary school social worker from Starpoint in Western New York. Adrian, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, as a social worker, you bring a unique perspective to the many emotional challenges that I'm sure some students are wrestling with as we try to get back to some sense of normalcy, whatever that is. But can you talk to me about that a little bit? What are you seeing in your district as it relates to that um, emotional challenge? And how does the report address those issues?
3: So I've been a school social worker for 20 years. And I want to say in the past um, five or six years, we've really seen a change in the social emotional needs of students and the basic fundamental skills that have been lacking when they enter school. However, after COVID, it has completely quadrupled, mm-hmm. and that might name maybe tenfold more um, needs that we're seeing. So when kids come into kindergarten, they're lacking so many of the skills needed just to help them function throughout the school day. So they have... Um, no social skills as far as like making eye contact, understanding how to have a conversation, mm-hmm. how to get along with others, how to follow directions. Um, they're lacking independent skills such mm-hmm. as sitting in their seat, unpacking their bag, managing their materials at their desk, or even how to unpack their lunchbox and feed them at themselves at school. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of kids crying in the morning. They don't even want to come into the building. Mm-hmm. My September is literally every day getting kids off of bus and getting kids out of cars because they're crying. They don't want to come into school. So we're just noticing that without a lot of kids aren't doing any sort of schooling before kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And if there was a universal pre-K, they could work on so many of those functional skills that would help them once they get into kindergarten. There's a lot of academic demands put on them in kindergarten and we really can't even address those for the first couple months of school we're just trying to help them understand
0: how to function in the school setting right and so right that would put them so much farther ahead with that yes. pre and a lot of the skills that we're trying to work i
3: mean we're we have kids come to kindergarten in diapers so we're doing toilet training with Real? kids mm-hmm. in kindergarten and i feel like we're missing uh, a big developmental stage, like UPK, we could be teaching them those age-appropriate
0: skills. Right. So by the time they're in uh, kindergarten, they're, they're ready for Correct. kindergarten. Exactly. Exactly. And I know one of the report's recommendations is creating community schools. What does a community school model look like? like what does that mean?
3: So community schools are amazing because public schools really are the center of our communities. And so many of the parents are reaching out to the schools to help them with things like um, access to health care, social services, housing, food, transportation, internet service. They're, they're help. They're, they're contacting us for so many things. And community schools offers that community-based wraparound support to help the students with all the support in those areas. So, For example, my school is um, more of a rural district, Mm -hmm. and there are not a lot of options in the community for counseling, food pantries, clothes closets. A lot of our families don't have transportation to get to those services, Um, and when we do link them with services, there's a lot of long waiting lists, and so families are waiting a long time to get their needs met. Mm-hmm. And if there's a community-based school, we already know the parents. We already have a relationship built. They trust us. Um, it would it would expedite their ability to get help, and we would be able to get that to them sooner and, um, in, in a lot of cases, prevent a crisis.
0: So does that mean putting those services, adding those services to the actual physical structure of the school, like putting those different offices there. So it's kind of one, you know, central location.
3: Yeah. So you could have the clothes closet, the food pantry. You could have um, family counselors to access at night. Um, You could have people who would, would be able to work with the school in conjunction to help service the family, which then helps the community as well.
0: It's interesting because all of those things impact their daily lives. You know, the, the, if the child doesn't have the right clothing, if they're cold, they yeah. don't have a coat, if they haven't had something to eat, and it all affects their, yeah. their learning ability. So that's really interesting. It surely does. I had a student today that I had to go get out of a classroom because
3: he was hiding under his desk and refusing to do anything. And um, by the time I got him down to my office and we talked for a little while, it's because he was hungry because he hadn't had oh. breakfast So I fed him a snack, gave him a drink, talked for a little bit, and he was able to go back to his class, just those basic needs being met.
0: Yeah, so you can get down to what you're really supposed to be doing, right, and educating the kids. You don't have all these other um, distractions and, and, you know, meeting all these other needs.
3: Um, Yeah, the social-emotional really does impact their ability to be academically successful, and the family's need for support affects their ability to support the students. It's just such a domino
0: effect. Well, Adrian, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about these uh, these specific issues um, that are included in the report. It must have been interesting to be able to participate in this whole process. I'm sure everyone involved learned a lot about where we are with public education and really where we need to be moving forward.
3: Absolutely. We had so many great ideas. And I have to say the biggest thing for me is, you know, we were from all over the state. and Some people were from city districts, rural districts, big districts, little districts. There are so many common themes that we're all seeing in our schools. And basically, no matter where your student goes to school, they all need the same kind of support and they all need the same um, public education no matter where you live.
0: Right. I agree. All right, Adrian. thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. My final guest is Amy Heisick, who's a high school science teacher from North Syracuse. And Amy, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: So this was a lot of work over the summer. And, you know, we've been hearing um, from some of your colleagues uh, about what's um, gone into this report. So what stands out in your mind? They had all these kind of brainstorming sessions where you could really discuss what some of the issues are and challenges are. What stands out to you that needs to be addressed that's included in this report to move forward?
1: Well, there's a lot. I know that um, some of your other guests have mentioned the social emotional piece and Mm -hmm. um, talking about the social emotional needs. As a high school teacher, that's one of the things that I have seen as well. Um, The student needs have increased instead of decreased over the last few years. And now with COVID and and the the aftermath of the pandemic and those sorts of things, those are pieces that we need. Um, There are some other ones, too. One of the things that came out to me in working with that group um, is the sheer brain power that we had and the ability to share experiences from all of the different places all around the state and figure out that these are things that are universal that our kids need um, and that these are universal needs that education needs to shift um, in this way. Um one of the ways that we or one of the things that we talked about was the emphasis or the continued emphasis on high-stakes standardized testing. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that absolutely needs to change. Um that so much pressure is being put on students and on teachers um, for this one day. Mm-hmm. The thing is, kids don't learn the same way or at the same speed. So even you take a whole bunch of chronological age of kids, a whole bunch of 10-year-olds or a whole bunch of 15-year-olds, um, their brain development is actually a lot more It's a bigger range than what you would expect. Um, So even with all of those kids, they're not going to be at the same place academically on the same day. So to force them and to have them take this high stakes test on one day that is a one shot, this is going to determine your educational future and your educational path test um, is really not appropriate. Um, it's really damaging to, to students to be able to say, you have to take this test and this is going to determine your future. Um, even for a regents exam, I teach at the high school level. And so for us to take those regents exams, yes, they are offered again, but students typically will do better on them the first year that they take them or the first time that they take them. Um, but even then, it's, it's a lot of pressure for one exam um, and it really is a lot of stress. So a lot of focus is being put on just the content that's being covered on those high stakes exams, and their ELA and math. Mm-hmm. So social studies and science and arts and things are getting sort of shafted in terms of time, because the focus is on only what's on the test, because that's how students are evaluated. And that's how teachers are evaluated. Right. So, you're so there's a lot to the of the test. you you have to, because that's how you're evaluated, and that's how your students are evaluated, and so pressure is being put from the top down on teachers to make sure that their students perform, and students to make sure that they do well, and so there are, you know, test rallies to, you know, be excited about these tests, but there are high-stakes tests given on one particular day to measure, you know, academic performance, but not every student is going to be able to be at the same place on that one day. That doesn't mean that students can't learn it. It just means that students are going to learn at different rates and at different times. So to expect all students to be able to learn in exactly the same way on exactly the same day and be able to demonstrate that on one test that determines their educational future or their educational path um, is really damaging to kids to put so much pressure on that.
0: So what does the report recommend for that? To eliminate the standardized testing?
1: To definitely de-emphasize the, the de-emphasize. reliance on that. They okay. should guide instruction. And that's But every teacher assesses students every day, all the time. We do formative assessments. We do, you know, unit exams. And so those smaller tests and more consistent performance over time gives you such a better idea of what your students actually know and can do. Um, so this one day, this one test is not an accurate measure. Um, consistent performance over time is. Um, those standards that we base our instruction on, that should guide the instruction. The student test scores should also guide how we do instruction. Um, But doing that as a summative exam at the end of a year and then not getting the results of that until after those students have left our classroom, Mm -hmm. um, that's not useful. Right. So if if the idea of assessment is to measure what students know, um, that's useful in the moment, that's useful in the short term um, to be able to know, OK, I gave a quiz. This is how my students did so that now I can adjust my instruction based on what my students know and what they don't know. And I can go back and say, OK, we, we are stuck on, you know, there, a lot of us are stuck on this one point. We should go back and revisit that. And so that we can make sure that this standard, this learning standard is addressed and that we really do know it. You know, inside out and backwards, so that we can use that information.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Able, so, and then that's and what. What about um, the report? Also, was uh, one of the other things that came out is um, the classroom technologies, right? What What did you look at, and as far as that?
1: Oh, as far as um, the technology use um, in the classroom. Yeah. So there are wonderful, fabulous tools for instruction, for technology. Um, if they are used, they can be an incredibly powerful tool, but they should not replace in-person learning. Um, they should be used um, to enhance learning, to be able to help students go further in their learning Um But there are some questions and some problems with doing that. There is digital equity issues. Um, There is not Internet access in all parts of our state Mm -hmm. equally. um, A lot of our rural areas have a lot of issues getting um, Internet access in their areas or having reliable Internet access. It is a cost issue for some students to have it in their homes. And so for us to focus on using instruction or using technology in instruction um, if it's used as a great tool and the tools are provided for students, that's one thing. Um, but it should be used as an enhancement of learning and it should be not become a further barrier, a further equity barrier um, to student learning.
0: Was there anything else that stood out to you in, in this whole process over the summer and talking about, you know, some of the challenges that are out there that that can be fixed through what's recommended in this report?
1: Yes, definitely. And one of the things that that I've noticed as a a high school teacher and in my own um, experience and in speaking with colleagues as well is that the inconsistency that students have experienced with being in school and being out and being quarantined and being closed down for so much of the virtual learning experience that we had um, is that some of the basic skills that students come to me as a high school teacher with um, are lacking. So they are not as strong and not as proficient in those skills, um, even basic things, basic math doing, you know, here are a couple numbers, get an average. Um, Those skills that used to be automatic and and students would know how to do um, those things and be able to use those tools, those skills are not as strong as they have been in the past and so those basic things that we get from being in school every day and from having strong instructional strategies and from having that consistency um, are definitely suffering at the moment and so it's going to be a little while I think before we can get back to The levels that we had pre-pandemic. So that's part of where the the work needs to happen, too, is just rebuilding some of the basic skills that students bring to the classroom.
0: Well, Amy, to wrap up um, after all of this work, you know, are you optimistic on um, because there's a lot of goals here. Uh, Are you optimistic that they're achievable?
1: I'm always optimistic. That's why I get up and go in my classroom every day. That's why you're (laughs) a teacher. Because I believe that students are worth it. And I believe that the job that we're doing is important enough um, that this is work that needs to be done. It absolutely needs to be done. Um, And so we we are committed to making sure that this happens because the students in our classrooms and the students sitting in our seats um, need us to do this work. And so, yes, there is absolutely a sense of optimism because this is what needs to happen.
0: Well, and Amy, I know it was um, 2017, you were a New York State Teacher of the Year, so that that's very telling, too. Congratulations on that thank honor. Thank you so much. And thank, thank you. you for taking the time to put into this whole report and then, and then walking through some of it with us uh, on the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin.